Roughly 13 years ago, my wife Megan and I had the opportunity to move across the country to L.A. to be a part of a church there. And it was a church that had had a pretty big impact on us early in our marriage. For most of my life, I was pretty distrustful of pastors and organized religion. You know, I'd grown up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. And I'd gotten an all-too-close perspective on what can happen when church leaders lose perspective and behave in ways that are so unlike Christ. And so for much of my journey, I was just very distrustful of pastors and their churches. But there was this pastor in this church that had given me over the years hope, one of the few that had given me hope that maybe a different church was possible. And so when we had the chance to move and to be a part of a two-year residency there while I did seminary, we jumped at the chance. You know, so we packed up everything we owned into a little four-by-six U-Haul trailer with our oldest daughter, Paige, who was less than one at the time, and we headed west through the Midwestern Plains, through the Rocky Mountains, through the desert, and eventually pulled into LA. And I remember just feeling the energy of the city when we pulled in. You know, LA is interesting because you got all these people who have moved from all over the world, many of them very talented, very big dreams, and many of them hoping to be a part of the 1%, you know, that makes it in Hollywood. And we, we pulled into town with our own set of hopes and dreams as well. You know, this particular pastor, uh, he had written a number of books that were widely read. He spoke to millions every year. And I think I had this vision that I was going to be like his little Padawan, you know, one day traveling the world with him as he taught me how to be a great leader and how to be an incredible communicator. And so we pulled into town with all of that and drove to this apartment we had only ever seen on Craigslist and began to unload our hearts full of hope and expectation. And I'll never forget the night that the residency began. We wound our ways through the hills of Pasadena into this house and were ushered in. And one by one, the residents began to arrive. There's about a dozen of us, and we came from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, some of us are, you know, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Canada, Scotland, Australia, uh, with our resumes, you know, and it was a pretty talented group of people. You know, some of us had been a part of starting churches, others starting businesses. Some had done international ministry. Some had large uh, speaking platforms in the U.S., And we were just excited (laughs) uh, to see what God was going to do over the next couple years. And then walks in this pastor, this guy who was responsible for all of us being in this room and signing up to spend the next two years going on this journey together. And I will never forget one of the first things he said to us. He gets up and he says this, my goal is not to make you all great leaders because some of you don't have the character to sustain that kind of influence. And frankly, you'd be crushed under that mantle of power. 
that is how our journey began. And in the coming days, we would find out our role in this season. Each of us were handed a broom and a mop, and we were directed to go downtown to this nightclub. And our job was to sweep up beer bottles and to mop up bodily fluids from the night before and to set up chairs to get this nightclub ready for church. And for the next two years, this was my primary responsibility to sweep, to mop, to set up chairs, and then to stack chairs when everything was over. Not exactly what I had planned. And I'd love to stand here and tell you that uh, I handled that with pure class, but that would be a lie. You know, I got six to eight months in and I was really frustrated, right? I mean, I'd been a part of things in the past, uh, you know, starting churches and different things and, and, and preaching and leading. And, and I thought, man, what a waste. Like, this is a waste of my time. I've got skills to be used, you know? And I remember wanting so badly to quit and just thinking, this is not why I moved my family across the country for this. And in that moment, and in many moments to come, the Spirit of God would say to me, this is exactly why I moved your family across the country for this. And so I had a choice. Right? Do I bail and really go do what I wanted to do, invest my time elsewhere, move elsewhere, or do I stay and finish what I had started? And the more I wrestled with God on it, the clearer it was that I was not released from this. This is precisely what God had moved me across the country to do to pull me off of the stage, out of leadership, into servanthood, to be confronted with some of the things that were in my heart. And here's the thing. This process, very humbling process, was surfacing things in me that I'm sure you can hear and read that were not pretty. Things that I didn't know were there. Things like pride and ego uh, things like a sense of entitlement. And I think those were things that I, I never would have been confronted by behind a microphone or on a stage or under a spotlight. You know, I needed to be confronted with my own heart. I need to wrestle. I needed to wrestle with God in the dark on this one. And so I continue sweeping and mopping and stacking chairs. And I made a shift in my heart. And I decided for this, whatever time I had left, which was about a year and a half, year plus in this journey, that I was going to make these small acts of sweeping and mopping and, and doing chairs my acts of worship. And so 
I entered in and continued to serve. And I began to pray as I set out those chairs before each worship gathering at these different campuses. And I would pray for the person that would be sitting in this chair and in that chair. And I would imagine, you know, the things that brought them into the room on this particular day, right? Stories of struggle and loss and disappointment, you know, unfulfilled hopes and dreams, pains, addictions, all of it. You know, I begin to pray, Lord God, would you meet this person and this person and this person in such a real way today? Lord God, would they bump into you maybe for the first time in their lives? Would you pull back the curtain, Lord, and show your goodness and your grace and your love and your glory to them even in this short hour and a half? Maybe just maybe they would be captivated by your person and maybe just maybe this might change the trajectory of their life forever. And funny enough, something began to happen in my heart. I began to cherish those times alone in the dark with Jesus. I began to love what I did. I began to love the fact that this was my small part in this local body of Christ in this local faith community. Like this was just my small unnoticed part in the mission that this church was on in the city of LA. And I, I began to love the fact that, you know, nobody really knew what I did and nobody needed to know what I did. This was, I wasn't doing this for anybody else. Like this was my small act of worship. And, you know, as I think back on it, I think maybe this might have been the first time in my life when I was ready to lead. It's funny how clear things are in retrospect, isn't it? Like in the rearview mirror, things are so obvious. Like I think back to that chapter in my life and in retrospect, it's so obvious just how critical this was in my life, like how badly I needed this. You know, as I look back, it's just so clear, at least to me, that there were things that God needed to do in me before he could do through me some of the things that I longed and prayed for him to one day do through me. You know, it's one of those truths, like I know for myself, I have to keep coming back to. And I think it's one of those truths that we all need to be reminded of on a regular basis. And it's, it's that God is far more concerned at any given point in time, he is far more concerned in who we are becoming than he is in where we're going or what we're doing. I don't think he, at any given moment, that he's really all that concerned or impressed with our accomplishments or our accolades or our plans or you know our, our reputation or how we're perceived or any of the things that we project into the world. And in this moment, I I don't think the most important thing in God's eyes on your journey are any of the things that you're stressed about right now or concerned about or the plans that you're making for this year or your list of goals or even your hopes and dreams. Like it's, 
your person. It's our person. It's it's who we are and who we are becoming that matters most. It reminds me of this moment in 1 Samuel 16. You know, the Lord is about to anoint the next king of Israel, and he's about to reveal his choice for who's going to sit on the throne and rule over his people. And the truth is, nobody expected the man that he was going to choose. It was going to be a surprise to everybody, because honestly, he was hardly a man. He was more than a boy than a man. He was small in stature, unimpressive, uh, nothing about his build or appearance or achievements or the nature of his work or anything in his past would suggest for one moment that this is the guy that God's going to choose. And so in this moment, when David's older brother walks in, a guy who is apparently charismatic, uh, very impressive, attractive guy, big build. I mean, surely this is a king in the making. This has got to be the guy, right? But God senses that this is the perspective in the room. And so he says this to Samuel, who's been given this responsibility of anointing the next king. God says this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's the heart. Nikesh said, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees the heart. He knows the heart. You want to know what God is most concerned about right now in this moment of your journey It's not the details of the next steps in front of you, although he cares about those in a loving Heavenly Father kind of a way. But his primary concern in all of it is what's going on underneath. It's your person. It's who you are when nobody else is around, when it's just you and Jesus in the dark. And I think that this should be both humbling and beautiful to us because here's here's the truth God already knows exactly who you are he knows your thoughts he knows your dreams he knows your fears and your insecurities he knows every skeleton that's in your closet the things you pray no one ever finds out about the memories and regrets that to this day When they come to mind, you get knots in your stomach and your palms begin to sweat. In fact, before you were ever born, he knew all of the ways that you were going to fall short. Every sin that you were going to commit, every sin you already have committed in your lifetime and every sin you're going to commit in the hours and days to come, he knew, he knows. And yet, friends, get this. Rather than rejecting you, or I, or walking the other way, instead, he willingly chose to march to the cross. So do you see how sadly frivolous and wasteful and tragic it would be to allow something as small as shame or busyness or 
fear to get in the way of experiencing all that God has for you? Friends, he already knows. And yet he has chose to love you anyway. That is the God that we serve. Like that is the God of the Bible. That is the God that we see in Jesus. He loves you anyway. He has chosen you anyway. He's begun a work in you. And the thing is, he means to continue it all the way to completion. And so why in the world would we hesitate to bring all of ourselves into the presence of God? To stop hiding, to stop the charade, to stop compartmentalizing, to stop pretending like we can hide from the presence of God or that he doesn't already know all of the ways in which you and I fall short, even in this moment. He knows. And yet he has chosen you anyway. And so I want to invite you to bring all of yourself before him. Like to bring all of it, to open it up, to crack it open, to invite the presence and spirit of God into even the darkest places of your heart. And so today, I invite you to do just that. And in fact, in this moment, I invite you to do just that. We are going to spend some time in Psalm 139. And I'm just going to read uh, this passage over you a few different times. And I want you to hear these words and to sit in these words. This is a psalm of David, actually. And this is what we read beginning in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. As I read this a second time, I'd encourage you to just open your heart as much as you can. Ask for the Spirit of God to speak to you in this moment and try to pay attention to any words or phrases that resonate. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, Lord. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to try to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. As I read this passage one last time, I would encourage you once again to dial in on those words and phrases that are just resonating in your heart and mind right now, the ones that, that the Spirit of God is, is bringing to the surface. And I would encourage you to, to write those down when we're finished. And, and if you want, even as I read these aloud, uh, I would encourage you to speak them aloud as well. There, there's something that happens when we don't just sit passively and listen, but 
when we speak things out. And so I'd encourage you to, to fully enter in this last time. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Friends, know today that your Heavenly Father knows you. He sees you and he cherishes you all while at the same time seeing all the parts of your person that are not as they should be right now. And he can be trusted with those too. So there's no need to hide. Today, may you walk both humbly and confidently in your belovedness. Grace and peace, friends.